Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today is a very special guest here on The Caring Economy. We have none other than Rebecca Scavron. Rebecca, Rebecca is actually the executive producer of The Caring Economy and my right hand. So Rebecca, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. Rebecca, you and I met through a mentor of yours, who's a pal of mine, and we'll talk later about the role of mentorship in one's career. Um, but first, what we like to do, as you well know, with guests on The Caring Economy, is hear a little bit about their, their life narrative as it relates to purpose-driven careers and responsible business practices. So um, you're now with the International, the International Rescue Committee here in New York, uh, doing social media. Uh, you've had lots of great experience prior to that. But um, tell our guests about Rebecca Scavron, where was she born and how she got to where she is today? Sure, great question. So I was born and raised in Westchester, New York. Um, so not too far out of New York City, as you know. Um, when I was growing up, my mom always made sure that I had some type of job or some type of experience where, that, where I made money. <laughs> Um, she was a big advocate of me supporting myself however I can, um, which I really appreciate because I think it's helped me become a better adult um, in a lot of other ways. But my career journey in specific, whether it was having a side gig or waitressing or uh, doing social media for free for someone, um, it kind of progressed into a purpose-driven career where I wanted to make a difference in the world and I knew I really wanted to do that. And I also knew I was really good at marketing through previous internships I had at really big agencies. So um, after I had all my internships with, um, you know, Nestle and White Castle and Nutella, um, I decided to kind of go into the, you know, purpose-driven space where I had my first job in college as a social media manager and strategist for the National Women's Hall of Fame. Um, and there was kind of like my first uh, foot through the door with working with nonprofits and merging marketing. We definitely want to come back to that. Um, I'm all for girl power. Um, tell our listeners, uh, so I don't have to, your demographic, because I think that's the real, that's the really exciting reason I'm happy to have you both on my team, but also here today talking to our listeners, which is made up of C-suite executives and then young aspiring professionals. You are, you are the target media demographic. Tell us what that means. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't say that I represent my entire demographic, but I would say that I skew more towards the Gen Z age demographic because of my birthday. Um, but I would say that those that I surround myself with and my close friends and people that are my age, we are all, um, we're, we're all really focused on how to make a change in the world one way or another. Um, and that kind of feeds into our everyday lives of like social media um, and the stuff that we consume, whether that's like purchasing things or watching things or um, doing anything really, or even our lifestyle. So um, I would say at least those that I surround myself with, um, you know, we're all kind of in this moment of our lives, especially now during COVID of like, you know, how can we live our best lives, but also help make a change and lift others up because so many people are kind of being torn down during COVID. But, but you are, and I say this respectfully, Rebecca, you are a, um, a white woman 
middle or upper middle class family upbringing, a traditional family unit with two parents who raised you, um, living on the East Coast, college educated. Some might say that you're an elite. So, yeah. uh, so is that a fair representation? And in, in, in those colleagues and friends that you talk about, are they similar or are they yeah. more diverse? Yeah, so um, great, great point. And um, I think, yes, in, in this, you know, time in history, you could say that my identity is very privileged because it is. I am a white female, although I'm a female, I'm white, and I'm not as oppressed as someone who's a person of color. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also say that I've had the opportunity to go to private schools only my entire life. So as much as my parents raised me to be exposed and, you know, surround myself with diversity, I would still say that looking back at this age, um, you know, now that I'm, you know, 26 years old and I look back at, you know, how I grew up, like it was sheltered. Um, and now that I'm 26, um, I really make a, uh, a really big choice. My choices really involve you know, being more diverse and exposing myself to that stuff because it's not necessarily going to come to you. Um, so I really try and make a, you know, all of my choices to kind of expose myself to that and learn more so that I'm more aware of like my identity and how it, how it plays out in my day to day. Yeah. Well, and certainly that's one of the reasons I love having you on the caring economy because we, through this weekly podcast, try and practice what we're, we're preaching and we want to keep ourselves honest and accountable you know, as well as I do, we've really worked hard and succeeded at having more diverse guests than not. I think yeah. we've only had, not that there's anything wrong with straight white males, but I think we've only had one or two since we started a year ago. And now we're in season two. So uh, I'm with you on that. Um, so can you talk to us, uh, you intrigued me when you talked to Rebecca about the, the National Women's History Museum. Tell us about that institution and, and what you did there and, and why it matters. Yeah, so it's a National Women's Hall of Fame. And for those of you who are listening and don't know uh, really what this is, it's a museum located in Seneca Falls, New York, which is where the women's suffrage movement was born. So it's very ago. fitting. Um, and they are a nonprofit. And their whole um, goal is to preserve women's history and celebrate those who are change makers and pioneers in any industry um, in America. Um, every two years, they nominate 10 new inductees to the Hall of Fame that is done through um, a public basis. So pe people from America can submit who they want to see in the National Women's Hall of Fame. And then that's taken to a bipartisan group of people and they kind of review all this stuff and then induct them in. Um, and it's a huge celebration, obviously pre-COVID. Um, that was, um, you know, going back to my mom, she always really pressured me to have a job. And as a senior in college, um, the older I got, the less support I got financially from any of my parents. So to me, I was like, I, I kind of need a job. Um, I was a double major in women's studies and um, advertising. And one of my women's studies professors um, works at the National Women's Hall of Fame, and they were looking to hire a social media person to kind of, um, you know, grow that. And that to me was the perfect crossover between Absolutely. both of my majors. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really important to me because I think at the time at senior year, I was just kind of fed up with the demographics at Hobart because it is, you know, it's a lot of kids from New England. Everyone's great, but like it's a liberal college. 
But, um, you know, not a lot of the kids there are liberal or have the same mindset that I do mm -hmm. that involves trying to make a change in the world. So um, this opportunity for me was to kind of escape that and like, you know, attach myself to something that had a bigger purpose than, um, you know, what, what the kids weren't really interested in that I was surrounded by at Hobart. And and clearly there's one, at least one uh, advisor who really was critical at that juncture for you, right? Yeah, yeah, her name is um, Betty Bayer. So if she's listening to this, she did a great job. I still talk to her now, but she definitely played a huge part in like pushing me in the direction of where I ended up today. That's great. And then you and I, as I mentioned at the opening, um, we have uh, Gwen Green in common, who was a, a mentor to you and is a pal of mine. And um, is really just the, the best at uh, both doing great business. She works at JP Morgan for decades and Bear Stearns before that. And she constantly mentors young people, men and women. Yeah. The, um, the career center at her alma mater, uh, University of Rochester is actually named in her honor. Uh, so uh, I'm all for that kind of paying it forward and uh, giving shout outs. So to Betty and to, to Gwen. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, again today, we're with Rebecca Scavron, who's our executive producer here on The Caring Economy. Stay with us, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We do have Rebecca Scavron with us today. She is not only our executive producer here on The Caring Economy, but she's also a real successful uh, social media team member at the International Rescue Committee which is uh, headquartered here in New York. David Miliband runs it. Tell us a little bit about uh, the refugee realities of today, Rebecca, and how you help ameliorate that situation in your day-to-day. -day. We are an international organization that helps those who need it the most in um, you know, countries that a lot of are in the Middle East, um, but we're all over the place. Or Venezuela or exactly. crisis zones. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And um, I would say like a huge, a huge thing that nonprofits are struggling with in the era of social media is being called out for white saviorism or in other terms, poverty porn, specifically for fundraising. And those who aren't familiar with the term poverty porn, um, it's a, it's a, term that's used pretty widely across digital and social media. And it uh, connotes the idea that NGOs or any organization is kind of exploiting people that are featured on any of their advertisements, whether it's digital, organic, or, um, you know, uh, mail, anything to, to uh, raise money. And it's not really ethical. Um, so I would say coming into the International Rescue Committee, we do a really good job at making sure that that doesn't happen. But at the same time, um, you know, there are moments where it, you know, these stories are true and they're real and we're not doing it for, yep. you know, fundraising purposes strictly. It's to tell the, the reality of like what's going on. And, um, you know, we have a very good sense of, of making sure that um, people who are featured give consent and that they're comfortable with what's going up. So I'd say we're pretty ahead of, of what most nonprofits um, mm -hmm. are called out for, but um, you know, there has been times where we still are called out, but I guess in my terms, um, you know, I'm given the opportunity to kind of change that narrative and, um, you know, give our refugees that we work with, um, you know, an, an even better chance to explain what's going on mm -hmm. there so that um, there can be, you know, more funds raised for them. Yeah, and that's actually, it's more than an opportunity. I think it's a responsibility that you have. I'm also reminded as with the, as we've, as I've written in the 
caring economy, the concept of greenwashing is sort of a precursor to what you just described with, um, with poverty porn. Um, do, you, uh, do you find that you're empowered to just get on and do it? Do you have yeah. decision-making authority? I mean, that's quite exciting as well. Yeah, I would say um, it, it's shocking to me that I'm 20, am I 25? I'm 25. <laughs> um, I, I just turned 25 like a few weeks ago in the beginning of January. So I'm like still getting used to saying it. But um, it's shocking to me that I'm here at this point in my life because this is exactly where I want to be in a career. And I didn't think that that would ever happen um, mm -hmm. because it's really hard to, to get that lucky and to actually love a job that you're doing. And um, giving, you know, I have a ton of authority to make these changes, which is also shocking to me yeah. um, because normally you're mentored by your boss. And then like over time, you kind of are given that. But what's so great about the International Rescue Committee is like, we're so open to trying new things. And I think like I am one of the younger people that works at the International Rescue Committee because it is, uh, you know, an older demographic that has been there for so long. Uh, you know, my boss has worked there for like eight years. Um, other people work there for like 12 to 15. So um, bringing me in is kind of a refresher, but I have total authority to kind of change that narrative. And I'm actually working on some projects right now, which I'm not going to completely talk about, but um, it's really exciting to to have that opportunity and to be supported by the higher ups in my organization to just kind of go for it and see yep. see what happens. So, so Rebecca, clearly you're a purpose-driven person and you've practiced a career around that. I know you spent some time with uh, our friend Lisa Sherman over at the Ad Council, which does awesome work. Um, in addition to the, uh, the Hall of Fame, how important, and this is more, well, this is talking to both our older listeners who are running companies real time in an era of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and COVID and all that, as well as your younger uh, peers, how important is purpose really to an individual's career and to a, to a company's future? I would say um, individual wise, at least for me, it's super important to attach myself to a purpose because if you don't attach yourself to a purpose, then I feel like you won't really find out what you want to do career wise or in life. So um, I think that's something that a lot of people my age struggle with right now because they just get a job to get a job and then change eventually. Um, and the thing is with people in my age, like we have multiple jobs throughout our uh, career. So um, it's really hard to find that purpose. And I've been so lucky to find that this early on and come to that realization that I want to do marketing for good. I want to raise awareness about all these organizations that are trying to change the world and like help those who really need it. Um, Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're with Rebecca Scavron, who's our, uh, who's our uh, Gen Z whisperer here on the caring economy, as well as our executive producer for the show. Um, the other part of the question was uh, for the business leaders. Um, how is it, is it, is it really a business necessity to turn, tune into purpose? We've heard Larry Fink at, um, at BlackRock, the world's largest asset, asset manager with $8 trillion in assets say that purpose and profit are inextricably linked, which I agree to. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I wonder like the brands you marvel at and you like, are they all purpose-driven brands or do you make some accommodations for brands that don't share your values, but they have something that you want? 
Yeah, um, I was actually just talking to my roommate Skylar about this, um, but I would say again, like I don't want to represent my entire generation, but I think a lot of people, especially those I surround myself with, they, um, we do want to see actions being taken and we don't want it to be greenwashed, but it is like, it goes the extra mile for us to like really become a loyal customer or consumer um, mm -hmm. and continue buying from any of these brands or organizations or companies, whatever is out there that, um, that there is an ethical, you know, workplace behind the company that they're giving back to organizations somehow that they really um, established these as, um, you know, the golden rule of like what makes a, co a company successful and, um, you know, how to attract more people. I would say, you know, people my age really want to like give back. And I think an, an easy way to do that is to just like buy something and like have, you know, knowing that like some of the profits are going to an organization. Um, some brands, just to name a few, yeah. Um, you name a few for, for you at least. Yeah. 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 Um, one is change and it's a clothing company. It's spelled C H N G E. Um, they are sourced all from within the United States. Um, and at least their whole background is about, um, you know, ethical clothing making and it's environmentally friendly and like they reduce the amount of water that they use, but they also donate a big sum of their profits to a ton of nonprofits around the world. Um, I would say Allbirds is another great brand. It's a shoe brand. Um, my roommates love them. They're not only are they super comfortable, but they're insanely environmentally friendly in the way that they're made. So, um, you know, brands like that. Yeah. So that's a, those are a few. So, so I love among many reasons that we work together. One of them is that we're going through this together. We're trying to, through the Caring Economy podcast each week, try to shine the light on what success looks like in responsible business. And it's not an old white guy's view or a young white woman's view. It's the views of the guests that we bring in. And I, I believe that our listeners appreciate that. Um, certainly the numbers would suggest it. But so ladies and gentlemen, I wanna uh, leave with a thank you to Rebecca Scobron, who's our executive producer here on The Caring Economy and let her have the last word. Any uh, final thoughts for our, our listeners, Rebecca? Yeah, I would just say, um... I was going to come up with like a good quote here, but I'm totally blanking on it. So maybe I'll just include it in the bio, but it was going to be some good quote about a challenge. So that's what I'm going to end on. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, we can that's, do that again. But all right. I love the honesty of that. And um, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much.